1: Right, It can mean many different things to many different people, but the kind of discipline I want to talk about this morning as we close out this series this month on peace in the wilderness is, uh, and actually it's a very final book of what we call the Old Testament law, the law of God or the law of Moses or the Torah or the Pentateuch that's all interchangeable as the same thing as the first five books of the Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy, we are looking at the very last chapter of the very last book of the law today, Deuteronomy 34. So I'll give you a chance to go ahead and turn there when you get when you have the opportunity. It will be on the screen, but being the Bible guy I am, I'd love for you to know where it is. So uh, and, and again, I we all have Bibles on here, so I never think you're playing games while I'm preaching because uh, you're always reading the Bible, right? So. Uh, so, look it up here. But it, there's something, I don't know, old fashioned for me about actually taking a book and, and looking it up and knowing where it is. So, Deuteronomy is like right here. So, you see the front is here, and then there's all of this other leftover in the back. Well, it's not just leftover, it's really good stuff. But uh, you get to Deuteronomy, it's the very last chapter of that book. Go ahead and look it up. Find it, thumb through it. These are NIV. I'm going to be reading from the NLT today. Uh, It's just a little bit easier read uh, and easier to understand in a context like this. So, all right, now all that's out of the way. Discipline. Not a fun word. Discipline can mean uh, like I'm disciplining my body. If uh, You've heard me say before, I used to run. This body doesn't run anymore. But back in the day, I would run, and I would run long distances, right? marathon, Half marathons, uh, 10Ks, 5Ks. uh, And and you just don't get up one morning and say, I'm going to run, I don't know, let's say 13 miles. You just don't do that, right? You have to discipline your body to get to the point where you can run long distances, right? You have to condition yourself. Paul says in, in the New Testament, in some of his letters, that he conditions himself. He, he, he really works hard at running the race with endurance that is set out before him. And he realizes that race is not a short sprint, but in many regards, it is a long marathon. You condition yourself for it. Now, as uh, Melody mentioned earlier, you, you, we don't realize certain things hit at certain times in life that honestly seem to be untimely for us. And so our days are marked out, but we don't know when the last breath is going to be or when the next thing is going to happen in our lives. And so this this idea of discipline in this regard is about conditioning ourselves for for whatever may come. Okay? All right. The other kind of discipline is, is not so much punishment as it is, think of a parent figure, who has to interject when the child pushes on the boundaries set in place, the healthy boundaries set in place in, in a home? Um, every family has a different set of boundaries, but for the most part, we all have certain guidelines or 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 you know um, things in place to keep our kids from really going crazy, Uh, and and when they step over that line or that boundary, there may be a warning the first time, but the second time, there's usually a discipline. And the scripture uses this idea or this type of discipline as a tool that God uses to keep us in line with his commands and, and with his teachings. Now, that sounds harsh, and trust me, I've heard everything under the sun from everybody uh that well not everybody but many people throughout the years in ministry that say you know I don't think I want to be a Christian it's all about do's and don'ts it's all about a list of rules and regulations and if I step off then God's gonna you know excommunicate me and send me to hell and I don't know if I even believe in that stuff in the first place um we get this misconception of God uh when we start to view God that way And I want to take some time today as we close out this series, like I said, on peace in the wilderness, talking about how actually even God's most favored leaders, yeah, does God have favorites? Well, I I won't go there. He loves everybody equally. But when we look at Moses, he met with Moses. He was considered a friend of God. There were some some titles given to Moses that were never given to any other character in Scripture besides Christ Jesus himself. All right, I want us to look at Moses as kind of this example of how God loves and even disciplines those he loves who are very close to him, and sometimes the closest that anybody's ever been. So I came across this illustration I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Back in my day, you may still have it in your day in schools, um, there are um, times where you have, um, what do you call them? If if you get in trouble, you have a detention, right? So we got a 10-minute break during the day where I went to high school, which is also where I went to middle school, which is also where I went to grade school. It was a very small, and it was not a private school. This is a public school in central Kentucky, I've told you this before, the town population at the time was right about 14 to 1,500 people. Uh, it was a public school with kindergarten all the way through 12th grade in it, and I graduated in a class of 29 students, all right? So yes, again, public school. The population of Bergen, Kentucky today is now 1,200, so it's gone down. When I left, everybody was like, well, you know, we gotta get out of here. All right, no, I'm just kidding. I was one of the very few to leave Bergen, all right? But I came across this illustration about discipline and detention. So it's from a pastor by the name of Devon Huss, and he writes, maturity, listen to this, maturity is recognizing that the choices we make carry consequences. How many of you would agree with that? The choices you make carry consequences. He says, I had a good laugh at a story in the newspaper some time back about a teacher who found a great way to make students pay for their crimes. Troublemakers at Riverside Brookfield High School in Chicago were being forced to serve after school detention in the Frank Sinatra Detention Club. For those of you that are too young to know, Frank Sinatra was a jazz singer, and he was a cool dude. He was a part of the Rat Pack. You don't know what that is? Just look it up. It's a Google thing, all right? For 30 minutes, they had to sit still, not talk, no homework, no snoozing, but just listen to Frank Sinatra croon songs, all right? The kids hate it, the teacher says. They're miserable," says uh, Bruce Janu, a Sinatra fan who devised the club as a way to make detention more fun for him <laughs> and less so for the kid. If I've got to sit here for 30 minutes after school every day, I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm going to make it miserable for you," he said. It just got to where I couldn't stand it," said one senior. It's so boring. Jan, Mr. Janu is, isn't totally heartless, though. He lets students sing along if they want, but nobody ever does. Our actions have consequences for the good or for the bad. So let's read Deuteronomy 34, starting with verse 1. This is one of the shortest chapters in Deuteronomy. Uh, many of them are super long, but we have 12 verses here. So let's pick up in verse 1. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which was across from Jericho. Let's pause there, give you a little background. You may have no clue where we're picking up the story. So how many of you have heard of the exodus from Egypt, the 10 plagues and all of that? A few of you. If you don't know this, for about 400 years, the Israelites ended up traveling to Egypt, living there for 400 years because there was a famine in the land of Canaan, which is where modern day Israel is today. And so they traveled there as migrant people and they lived for 400 years. They grew so large over a course of about four and a half to four centuries that um, they were numbering about the millions. And I mean the low millions, like one to two million men, women, and children. Well, the Pharaoh at that time got really scared because the people were more numerous or getting just as numerous as the Egyptians. And they, this Pharaoh thought, well, if they wanted to, they could rise up and take us over. And so the Pharaoh who ruled the land at the time was a very wicked Pharaoh. And he began to put restrictions on the Israelites to the point where he was even uh, executing the infant children. Not just the children, infant males of the Israelites. So they couldn't continue to produce offspring in the numbers that they were. And so Moses, this little baby Moses, born, uh, was put in a basket, sent down the Nile River. You talk about trust in God. How many of you, if if, if you had no other option, what would you do to to protect and save your child? If you knew they were going door to door, knocking on it, coming in, and just tearing apart everything to find, do you have a small toddler child here? Do you have an infant child here? And so it got to the point where they couldn't hide this baby, and they put him in a basket of reeds with tar pitched on the side to keep it waterproof and floated him down the Nile. It just so happened, where does he float up on the doorsteps of? None other but Pharaoh's daughter. And she takes pity on this little, oh, look, it's a little Hebrew child, but he's super cute, right? It puts a face on this. Do you you see what happens? It puts a face on. on on these people who were faceless to many in the Egyptian society, bringing compassion toward the Hebrews, at least this Hebrew child, from Pharaoh's daughter. And so she brings him into her home, raises him as her own. There's more to the story. I don't want to get into all that. He, he grows up at about 40 years old. He, he knows he's a Hebrew by birth. He knows he's adopted into Pharaoh's family. But he now has this royal status. And he sees an Egyptian soldier beating uh, one of the Hebrew slaves at the time, or Hebrew servants at the time. And he's like, you know, wants to stop it. And he takes action and kills this Egyptian soldier. Um, this Egyptian soldier and buries him in the sand. And it comes to be found out that he killed this Egyptian soldier. And it's a big deal. Like murder today is a big deal. You get thrown in prison or some states, they still execute for first degree murder, those kind of things. So he hightails it out of town. And for 40 years, he lives in a region called Midian, Midian is eastern Saudi Arabia today. It's the deserts out there. Um, But he's there. He marries a woman. His father-in-law, Jethro, is is a shepherd. And uh, so he becomes a shepherd as well, tending his father-in-law's flocks. Until one day, there's a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere in this desert region in in Midian. And and of course, like I've said before, it's, it's one of those situations where he's probably seen Lightning strike or, you know, brush catch on fire at a time or two. But he sits there long enough. He's tending the sheep, and he sees this bush on fire. But he realizes after a while it's not actually diminishing in size. So what in the world is going on here? He gets closer. As he gets closer, a voice comes out from the bush, and the bush says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Now, for me, I've never heard a bush talk except in, like I said, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, you know, the bushes speak there, Uh, but here's the truth. What would you have done, right? What would you have done? Well, he obeys the voice from the bush and uh, ends up being called into service. It's a back and forth thing. About five different times, God, Yahweh, from the bush says, I want you to go set my people free. So he goes back. There's an exodus. They come through the Red Sea, and here they are in the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness, at least on the front end, for about 11 months. Before they come up on the edge of the promised land, they send 12 spies into the region. And what happens? The spies come back. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, say, we could take the land. And the other ten said, oh, heck no. The people are too big there. We'd get squashed like a bug. And uh, then they start to incite violence against Moses, saying, why did you lead us out here to die? Blah, blah, blah. It never happens to leaders today. But in that day and age, they wanted to stone Moses to death. And so God said, I'm done. Go ahead and... uh, You know, just wander in the wilderness for one day, or excuse me, one year of every day the spies were in the land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. When I say wandered, they were nomadic people. They didn't have a place of permanence. So they'd pick up and move. Whenever God's presence would move, they'd set a tabernacle down somewhere in the wilderness as a place of worship and a place of community. It's now 40 years. Moses is on the edge of the promised land along with Joshua, his assistant. And the rest of the Israelites, after a generation of them had died off in the wilderness, are now there. It's time to go again. Second time's a charm. Are they going to do it? Or are they going to grumble and complain and have to wonder again? Well, that's where we find ourselves. Deuteronomy 34, the last book. Moses is not allowed to go with them, and we'll see why. That was a long explanation. But I hope it brings you up to speed real quick. All right. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan. So Moses is given this opportunity to go up on top of a tall mountain just outside of the region on the eastern side of the Jordan River to look out across the land. Now, this is a high enough peak where you can see miles upon miles upon miles. Now, you can't see all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, which is way far away. But you can see the Jordan River where it comes from the region of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. You can go there today, which is considered the place where Moses stood and looked out across the land. It is actually a tourist attraction now, but you can check it out. And so that's where he's at. And verse 2, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, which is in the wilderness, the Jordan Valley and with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is a land I promised on oath to abraham isaac and jacob when i said i will give it to your descendants i have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes but you will not enter the land and he's talking to moses he's not talking to the rest of the people moses i have promised this for generations from abraham isaac and jacob and all their descendants and this is the one that they rejected 40 years ago but now i'm letting you go in and take it but moses you can't go So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said, well, why couldn't Moses go? It's not fair. Why why was he? He's been faithful to God. He's done everything that God's asked him to. But why can't he go? Well, as a matter of fact, Moses did disobey the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. You can look at Numbers chapter twenty. We talked a couple weeks ago, Numbers 27. The book of Numbers is all about the wilderness When they were in the wilderness, guess what Moses did? Well, Moses disobeyed God. How did he disobey God? Well, Moses disobeyed God because the people were like super thirsty. You're in the middle of the desert or the wilderness. There's not a great water supply out there. And so they're like, you brought us down here to die. We're gonna, you know, not ever make it. We're gonna, you know, I was starved to death at one time. He gave them manna, and uh, then he gave him quail. That's a whole different story. And then, and then, there's this time where they don't have any water, and and Moses is like, "Listen, they're bickering and complaining over here. There's no water. You think you could help us out?" And God says, "Sure. There's a rock over there. You see it? And you know, yeah, I see the rock. It's uh, uh, where we call the waters of Meribah, and and." He says, I want you to go over there, speak to the rock in front of the presence of the people, and it will give forth water. So Moses goes over, and Moses is angry. You know, Moses is put up with a lot. It's now 40 years, you know, in the midst of the 40 years. I don't know how grumpy you'd be if you'd been faithful to God, but the people hadn't, and you had to suffer wandering around in the well. It's their fault. It's not my fault. But he's contended with them and with God, and, and so he's pretty ticked off right now and he goes over to the rock and in the presence of all the people he doesn't speak to the rock instead the staff that he had which he'd had since his whole ministry began he took it like a baseball bat wham and not just once twice against rock you could think okay one time was a mistake two times was intentional right and that was what's pointed back to as the punishment that God said you can't enter the promised land with them because you disobeyed. Wait a minute. So he hit a rock with a stick and that's what kept him from going into the promised land? Yeah. And we're going to dig into that just briefly. Like I said, we're going to get through this quickly. Let's continue. So Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab just as the Lord had said and the Lord buried him in the valley near Beth Peor in Moab and to this day no one knows where he is the exact place that is so Moses was 120 years old when he died and yet his eyesight was clear no cataracts no glaucoma no nothing his eyesight was clear indicating it was 2020 and he was as strong as ever Well, you think at 120 years old, climbing a mountain, you'd have to be pretty strong, right? And so he's as strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, one of the 12 spies that came back, said we could take the land, who was also an assistant to Moses, was full of the spirit and of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, So that the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So now Joshua is the next de facto leader. Verse 10, there has has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses. So I want you to hold on to that thought for a little bit. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Now he wasn't able to see the Lord face to face, but the Lord knew him face to face. They had such an intimate relationship that there was nothing withheld between the two of them. Verse 11, the Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh. The ten plagues That's what he's talking about. The parting of the Red Sea, the giving of manna, all of that stuff. Um, And all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of Israel. So, what do we learn from this today? Real quick, and you can fall asleep after this. There is peace through godly discipline. There is peace through godly discipline. Those of you at home, yes, I'm talking to you. There is peace in godly discipline. All right, so how is there peace in godly discipline? I want you to look at the narrative of Moses in Deuteronomy 34. The close of his life seems to be a sad testimony to who Moses was, why he wasn't able to enter the promised land. But I want you to see some of the the different perspectives on this. The first thing is he was not allowed to enter the promised land, but... that's your first point. He was not allowed to enter the promised land, but it's been said sin is fun. How many would you agree with that? It's fun in the moment, right? But the consequences are pretty ugly. Sin is fun for a reason or for a season. The problem is, that sin always has consequences, and they are unpleasant. National Geographic reported that a 13-foot Burmese python swallowed a six-foot alligator in Florida, and the consequences were lethal, as the gator spit the sna- or excuse me split the snake open from the inside out, literally. What does a gator do when it has its prey in its grasp? It rolls. Now imagine you're a gator; you've been swallowed by a Burmese python. What is your only defense mechanism if you can't open your mouth? Are you gonna roll? What do you, you think is gonna happen if you're inside the belly of a snake? It totally tore this thing apart. You see, that's what sin does. We think we have something great until it destroys us from the inside out. Well, it's not hurting anybody else, right? If it's not hurting anybody else, what's the big deal? Actually, the problem is because we are created to live in community together, it not only hurts you, it hurts others outside of you. See, that's the deception of sin is it only hurts you. But the reality is because we are a communal and community type people, it always has a ripple effect of consequences that inadvertently hurt other people. So it doesn't only hurt you, it usually hurts those closest to you as well, if not innocent bystanders. Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land for the reason of disobedience, as I just mentioned to you a moment ago. It seems harsh. It seems very unfair that the people got to enter the promised land and he didn't. But I want you to look at something here. There are a couple things to remember. First, a rebellious generation of Israelites would not get to enter the promised land, but instead would have to die in the wilderness as a result of their lack of trust in God. So the ones who had been grievously frustrating in the wilderness, that generation had died off. And now, this new generation that had been at the time 20 years or younger have grown up in the wilderness. They've not, many of them, some of them haven't, haven't even seen the miracles of God outside of the manna and the quail and a couple things in the wilderness. They didn't see the 10 plagues, they did. some of them did. But their children that were born in the wilderness didn't because they continued to prosper and grow and become bountiful in the promise they didn't it wasn't just that generation that died off because of old age they continued to grow more populous while they were in the wilderness. Second thing is that Moses was God's spokesperson or prophet. He was designated by God to lead in the way of God's promises. Here's where it gets really sticky. James chapter 3 verse 1 in the New Testament. Why am I pulling a New Testament passage into an Old Testament one? Because the Word of God is very consistent all the way through. Even when you think it has contradictions, there are reasons that it seems like contradiction that we could talk about and parse words on. It's hard to do that in this context right now. But suffice it to say, James 3 verse 1, I want you to hear what James says. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, let's look at that in regard to Moses. Moses was God's key point leader. He was, he was the main man at the time leading the people out of Egypt and all that. Do you, do you understand the serious responsibility of leadership? Teaching. Teaching. I, I do. I, I stand up here each week, or I teach in classrooms, uh, the Word of God, the Bible, and I take very seriously why I do that. Now, I'm also a goofball, a lot, because there's, too much seriousness can make you a sourpuss, right? But I also understand the serious nature of teaching the Word of God. And if I actually mince those words, or, or tell you something that is inaccurate, guess what's going to happen? Because I believe there is a God in heaven that he is the sole judge for my eternity, that I will stand before him someday. If I stand up here disseminating lies and falsehoods, I believe I'm going to stand account for that. Okay? So I take very seriously my own eternity when I stand up here and talk about God's word. And when I tell you that I'm going to give you my opinion, I clearly state that. This is, I'll say this isn't hard-pressed doctrine or anything. This is Brandon's opinion. Take it for what it's worth. But when it's the word of God, I want you to understand the truth as opposed to opinion. And so, what we see here is that Moses held such influence over the people that he was going to be judged more strictly. There were millions of people in the wilderness, at least a couple million. That Moses, being the point leader for God, held sway over what happened out there. Yeah, they could be rebellious, and yes, they got disciplined in the wilderness, but Moses was God's point leader. Correlate that to today. There are many spiritual leaders today. Some of them may be falsely accused. A lot of the evidence isn't out yet for some of them, but some of them... Got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. That's a G rating. Over the past several years, we've seen many of these megachurch pastors, spiritual leaders, so-called fall from grace. It puts a blight, if you will, on the church, on Christianity. But let's be honest. Has there ever been a time where there has been a perfect spiritual leader other than Christ himself? No. Did you know, if you read through Scripture, with the exception of Christ, every one of the people that God called into leadership were a mess. Now, that's not to excuse their behavior. Sin is sin, and there are consequences for sin. But when you put a spiritual leader on a pedestal, and you put them in the place of God instead of a spokesperson for God, guess what ends up happening when that person falls from grace? Where does your faith go? Huh? Huh? And there are too many people today in too many spiritual groups or church groups that put their ministers or their teachers on pedestals. You should honor them because of the position, because of their own faith, but you should never worship them. And when you begin to worship your spiritual leaders, and they fail you, and they will, if your faith is in them more than it is in Christ— then your faith comes tumbling down and many people walk away from the faith. Now, you can blame the spiritual leader, but the truth of the matter is you're not going to stand before God someday and it was because of that pastor that I'm not going to heaven or that I walked away from the church. No, you're going to stand and account for your own personal responsibility of what you did being faced with faith and a decision to believe in God or not believe in God through Christ Jesus. You're not going to stand up there. Now, I will stand if I've caused you to stumble. I'm going to be judged for that. But you're going to stand before God someday as well, just as much as any one of us will, on a level playing field, and he's going to say, tell me about your faith, right? Or he's going to say, welcome, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And it's going to be based on a personal, response, or personal relationship you had with him through a decision you made. All right, so again, Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, but what did God do? He took him up on the peaks of this mountain called Mount Nebo in the region of Pisgah. There's this range of mountains called the Pisgah Mountains, and there's a, a pinnacle there called Nebo, and he says, to, I want you to look at this. Now, God didn't have to do that, right? I know some parents, when you get really frustrated with the kids, you're going to pull the whole plug on everything, right? You're not going to let them say, but all right, I'm going to punish you, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I will let you do this. And that's what God did. See, he was punished. He wasn't allowed to enter the promised land, but he was allowed to see it. Okay? Now, the second thing is, real quickly, is, and I, I think this is pretty cool, he died in the land of Moab, but he died in the land of Moab. Now, that's uh, the region of Moab just outside of Israel. Uh, again, it's a more desert, r- wilderness region, and it's a more of a plain type area. Some of the scriptures say the plains of Moab. And uh, here's the cool thing. You get this picture, it's almost like a western where the hero's walking off into the wilderness and you hear the, I can't do the whistle thing, my whistler doesn't work. But you know what I mean, he's walking off and there's sad music playing and nobody's going with him. And it says God knows where he is and actually there is indication that God was the one who buried him. Now think about that, I'm not going to let you into the promised land, but here's what I'm going to do for you. Because I love you, I'm not going to leave you alone. You see, there are consequences for behavior, but God still doesn't leave us alone. Think about this. There are countless times in Scripture where we see this. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. I think this is super cool. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and are now being disciplined by having to leave the Garden of Eden. However, we read in verses 20 and 24 of chapter 3 how God mercifully and graciously, even in their disobedience, provided them clothes from animal skins. The first death we get in Scripture is of animals. And it's implied because what are they wearing as they leave the garden? Not fig leaves. They're not leaving it nude. They're leaving with animal skins. Well, where did the animal skins come from? Well, he could have spoken animal skins into existence. But the implication is there was a sacrifice that had to happen. And sacrifice was the life of an animal so that they could have skins for protection in this wilderness wandering that they were now going into. And that was because of the gracious, I'm going to punish you, but I'm also going to protect you. I'm going to discipline you, but I discipline you because I love you. You can't continue in this pattern of behavior. You're going to have to do this now, but I'll be with you and I'll protect you. Not only that, what else happened? They couldn't get back into the garden. That seems like a horrible punishment. I want to be able to get back into the fruit and the other stuff. Yeah, I ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge. Good and evil shouldn't have eaten of that. That's why we're having to deal with this. But the other fruit is good, right? Can't we go back in there and get it? Well, there were, there were angels and flaming swords placed at the entrance of the garden. So they couldn't get in there. But here's the mercy of God. What did he do? He says, listen, if they get back in there, there's also a tree called the tree of life. If they eat of the tree of life perpetually, they will perpetually live in this sinful, fallen, and broken state. In order for this to come to an end, death has to be a result. But I will do something to protect them even because of that. I don't want them to live in sin for the rest of their lives, right? I, I don't want them to continue to perpetuate this nonsense and have the result and the consequences of living in sin for eternity. So I will put an end to it. I will keep them from going in to get free. Do you see this? Have you ever said to your kids, those of you that are older, have you ever said to your kids, you don't understand why I'm doing this and it, or that this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? Or, you know, you don't understand now why I'm doing this, but someday when you have kids of your own, you'll understand, Right? And how true is that? When I was a kid, I didn't understand punishment or discipline when I did something I wasn't supposed to do. And keep in mind, I was a pretty perfect kid. (laughs) I'm just kidding. My mom's probably watching from Kentucky right now. She's like, oh no, he was not. So, but here's the thing. We have to discipline to keep in the straight and narrow. We wanna raise our kids to be productive, good people in this world. We don't wanna raise hoodlums, right? That's an old term because I'm an older guy. But we don't want to raise dregs of society. We want to raise kids who become adults who contribute in a way that is positive and good and wholesome. And if we just let our kids do whatever they want, whenever they want, and however they wanted to while they're growing up, we're setting them up for failure. Why do you think God puts things into place. He says, because if you do these things, it's going to lead to destruction. He's not some cosmic killjoy that wants to ruin all your fun. He knows that if you do these things, it's going to be pretty ugly. So I'm saying, don't do them because this will be the consequence. But here's where God gets a bad rap. We think if if, he just, he's ruining all my fun. I won't be able to live the way I have to, I'm going to have to change my group of friends. My family may reject me if I become a believer in Christ. What's worth your soul? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? He died in the land of Moab, but God allowed him to see the land. And God was with him even to the point of death. Lastly, Joshua replaced Moses, but but another reason for Moses not entering the promised land has been suggested by professor and biblical scholar John Goldengay. Listen to what he writes. Maybe something else is going on here. He says, Moses belongs to the age that is passing. There's an appropriateness about having a new leader to take Israel into the land itself. Either way, God is prepared to be tough. When God commissioned Moses, it was not for Moses' benefit. And when God decommissions Moses, it was not essentially for reasons to do with Moses, but with God's purpose and Israel's destiny. So this is a a different take from a different biblical scholar. He says the point is summed up in the title um, Deuteronomy gives to Moses. Listen to this. He, He is not a leader, but a servant. Do you hear this? Not a servant of the people, but a servant of who? Okay, so why do people only live certain lengths of time in this world? We, 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 could, we could speculate, we can postulate. we can do all of this stuff. God, why didn't they live to be 70? Why didn't they live to be 80, 90? Why did they die at such We don't know, okay? I, I, this is from a spiritual leader. I'm not going to uh, sp- speak everything that I don't know, okay? There are no reasons all the time for us to have every answer to every question this side of heaven. You've heard me mention, and you probably hate the redundancy, but those of you that are new with this, it's kind of like this. God gives us a ton of information, but we are finite, not infinite. And in our finiteness, our minds can only hold so much and conceive of so much because of our fallen nature. Now consider this. We live in a world where we have evidence of God if you're willing to see it. And it's not just to have eyes to see or ears to hear, but there is true evidence of God. Scientifically, there can be proven evidence of God. We can't prove there is a God, but we see evidence of God. Now, God has given us enough of his truth in the created order to point to him. You can accept it or reject it. It's like having a thousand piece. You've heard me say this, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, but you have 250 pieces missing. Okay? I want you to get this image in in your head. Because of our fallen nature, the image and the perspective we have is imperfect. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in part. Why does he say that? Because we only partially see what is truly there because our eyes are blinded because of sin and death in the world. We live in the consequences of sin and death, but we can be free from sin and death through Christ Jesus. That's why we call this the good news. But for now, we don't see what Adam and Eve first saw and what believers in God at times throughout human history have been given a glimpse of into heaven, okay? We see about 750 pieces. Guess what you can do with 750 pieces put together in a jigsaw puzzle? You can make out most of the picture. But there are certain pieces missing that you are like, I just don't know. I don't know the detail of that. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure how to answer the question about this missing piece. But you have enough of the picture to make an educated decision about whether or not you're gonna believe what is there based on what you can see? Does this make sense? Okay, just make just making sure you're with me. And see, this is why it takes faith. Faith is not a cop-out because of a lack of evidence. Faith actually takes a lot of intellectual strength. Did you know that? And we don't have blind faith. When you read the Hebrews chapter on faith, When you go to Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 11, if I'm not misquoting that, it says we have faith is the evidence of things we don't see and it's confidence in those things that we hope for. Now, when you read the actual Greek in that, it is evidence for what we can't see. It's not a blind faith. Do do you catch that? And so we often get dismissed as believers in Christ for, oh yeah, it's all about faith. It's not about science. No, it's faith and science. Because I believe science points to a creator. And actually, if scientists who are really on the front lines in the labs are willing to admit with intellectual integrity, there seems to be a design to this. From the molecular level all the way to the macro level of universe. There seems to be a balance, there seems to be a design. And you'll find even atheists, scientists, who will say, it seems to be that way, but I can't go there. So anyway, I digress. Moses, he's a servant. As much as he's a leader, he's more a servant. And a servant is a leader. Jesus says this often, and let me close with this. Jesus says this often. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? What does he say in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the one who serves. He says uh, to James and John, in one of the Gospels, James and John are are fighting or jockeying to get position in heaven. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, uh, which one of us can sit beside you next to your throne? (laughs) And one of the other Gospels says it was James and John's mother. (laughs) How even more embarrassing is that, you know what I'm saying? To have your mom, hey, can you go to my boss and see if you can get me the promotion? (laughs) anywho so if that's going on and what does jesus say oh it's not that it's not that way in the kingdom. by the way it's not my decision it's the fathers in heaven who's gonna sit where but uh um, let me tell you this it's the first who's last and the last who's first you see god's kingdom is so different than the kingdoms of this world so church let me let me let me say this Joshua became leader, but Moses wasn't diminished just because he passed away and and didn't get a chance to go into the promised land. See, Moses had fulfilled his part in God's purpose. And though he suffered consequences for poor decisions, God still loved him and walked with him through that desert experience to the point of laying him in his own grave. We think that's the end for Moses, but let me give you the but part of this. Joshua replaced Moses, but do you remember a time in the Gospels where Jesus goes up to the mount top? You got Peter, Andrew, and James, or is it Peter, James, and John? Anyway, they're, they're with him there on the mountain, and Jesus is instantaneously transfigured is what it's called. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. Who is there with Jesus talking with him on that Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Now there's a ton of speculation from scholars as to the reason why those two people are there with Jesus. But suffice it to say, what do we see? Moses is speaking with Jesus. What did Moses talk about with the people the whole time he was with them? He was foreshadowing a day that they would never be in bondage. He was foreshadowing a day when somebody would come that would be a greater prophet than him. He was foreshadowing a day where they wouldn't have to suffer. And he wasn't just talking about the promised land. He was talking about Jesus. Now imagine you're Moses, you've suffered the disappointment of discipline and not being able to do certain things because of certain consequences of your actions, and yet God in his mercy and grace still gives you a glimpse of his Savior. Joshua replaced Moses, but it was Moses that saw Jesus face to face. As our worship team comes forward today, I don't know what brought you here this morning. Maybe this is your home church. Maybe this is your first time here. Jesus desires for you to see him face to face as much as he desired for Moses to see the fulfillment of everything he prophesied about. You see, Jesus was the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And the very Moses who helped to write that word as transcribed through the power of the Holy Spirit that we call the law, actually began to see the fruition of that word becoming flesh and the embodiment of God in flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he desires to see you face to face if you're willing to have eyes to see and ears to hear. You've been presented with a message today from a guy on a stage who is just as imperfect as the next guy or lady. But the truth that I'm speaking is universal and it should penetrate the hearts of those who truly have ears to hear. I hope you hear the message for what it's worth, not from Brandon, but I hope you hear that God is calling And he says, I don't care where you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how you've messed up. Yes, you probably still may have to suffer certain consequences from your behavior, but I love you. I love you enough that I was willing to die for you. And because of that, I want to welcome you into relationship with me. It's not going to be easy, it's probably going to be hard because when you sacrifice and give up your desires for mine for you, there are people that are going to look down on you, that are going to curse you, that are going to persecute you. But listen, it's okay. Don't forget, when you encounter troubles of many kinds in this world, remember, I've overcome the world. You're in good company if you're with me, he says. If you want to know, truly know That in spite of everything you've done wrong, that you are saved, you have to have a faith and a belief in Jesus Christ and surrender everything in your life to him. And you have to follow in his way. Because there is no other way. I know we want there to be. And I used to think even early on in ministry, God, maybe there's other ways, right? And I told you before, John 14, verse 6, either Jesus is the greatest liar of all time or he is who he says he is. And I had to make a choice. Is he a liar or is he who he says he is? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Either I believe that or I don't. If I believe that, then I have to believe what God's word says because he was the word made flesh. If I reject it, then I reject it. And there's nobody here trying to ramrod this down your throat. But it's the truth between salvation and condemnation. And those who are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for your love and your mercies. Thank you for your care. Honestly, thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. And you didn't have to die for us. You didn't have to die for the consequences of our own decisions, but you did. And if you'd stayed in the grave, that would have been the end of the story. We wouldn't even be doing a service this morning. But you rose from the grave to show us that not only can you conquer sin and do away with it and give us forgiveness because of that sacrifice, that you can give us forgiveness. You can give us freedom from death. That we, the suffering for the punishment of our sin would be death. We can actually have a free get out of jail free card. Thank you for that. And now you offer us this relationship with you as a way to get out of the consequences of our own behaviors eternally. And we surrender all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.